Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When I had kids, one of the scariest and most delightful things about it was the sound effects. At some point, I realized the way that I said a hummingbird flew, zoom, or how I called a cat, would pass on to them. And that transmission came, of course, from my parents, who taught me not just how to love and learn, but also all the other teensy things in life. And mostly just by what they did, not what they said. Which raises the larger question in an essay by Faith Hill in The Atlantic. Are we destined to become our parents, whether we want to or not? She'll join us this hour, and maybe you'll even hear from my mom. That's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. For much of human history, the idea that you'd end up like your parents would not have been surprising. I mean, regular people in pre-industrial England, say, might never travel more than a few days' walk from where they were born. They'd probably do something to make a living much like their parents did and grow up in a relatively homogenous racial and cultural environment. But now, it's possible and usually required of us to live wildly different lives from our parents. Technologies change, economic conditions change, parenting trends come and go. Our communities, at least out here in the Bay Area, contain far more diverse mixtures of cultures and countries of origin. All that to say, from generation to generation, so much can and does change now. And yet, as Faith Hill writes in her article in The Atlantic, The Parenting Prophecy, quote, something strange might happen at some point after you have kids. It could hit you during the rush before the school day or the climb into the car for soccer practice or the exhaustion of bedtime. You might catch a vivid glimpse of your own parent's behavior, some specific mannerism plucked from your childhood memories and dropped right into the present, end quote. But it's you. You're the one doing it, not your mom or your dad, but you. And depending on how your childhood was and how you view the parenting you received, that might not be a pleasant sensation. Joining us to talk about what she found talking to people struggling with becoming or not becoming their parents, we've got Faith Hill, Senior Associate Editor of the Family Section at The Atlantic. Welcome, Faith. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so good to talk with you. And this is really a conversation for everyone today. We'd love to hear from you. Here's the first question. What's something you've heard come out of your mouth that your parent used to say? And what's your reaction? Sweetness? Or just the words, oh, God. Give us a call now. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We're going to be mixing calls and comments in uh, early today. It's going to be fun. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. 
uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And again, what we'd love to hear from you is what's something you've heard come out of your own mouth that your parent um, used to say? So, um, Faith, um, tell us a little bit about, like, how did you get interested in this particular topic? Like, trying to find people who were, you know, struggling with their relationship with their own, uh, you know, parents' behavior. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just, you know, at first, anecdotally, I had talked to a lot of people about sort of the general phenomenon of like turning into your parents. Um, (laughs) I think a lot of people relate to that. And and people who don't have kids of their own can relate to that, too. You know, the sort of eerie feeling of like, you know, thinking that you're doing things your own way, and then starting more and more to see ways that your parents show up in you. Um, But, you know, I started to think the more I talked to people about this, that there is sort of a special significance of that when you have kids of your own. Um, you know, your childhood sort of takes on this um, kind of new importance because, you know, even if you feel like you had a relatively good childhood, you always want the best for your kids and you don't want to make the same mistakes that your parents made. Um, and and so I think, you know, it can be very troubling when you see yourself mm-hmm. um, uh, mimicking any of their qualities. It can just feel really loaded you know you're thinking about how you can be the best parent you can be and meanwhile there's this sort of shadow over you it feels like a like a prophecy Mm -hmm. so i mean the research kind of tells us the obvious right on intergenerational transmission of parenting like of course we learn how to parent from our parents right right yes um i i think you're right that it is sort of like it, it makes sense when you think about it um and um Yes, but I I think I was sort of surprised by, you know, the extent of it and of so many different ways that it can end up happening and and sort of realizing the significance of that for parents because uh, you'd think like as long as you're aware of it, you could just do things differently. And of course, it's not predetermined, but, you know, it can be complicated. Yeah. Have you found this in your own life? Like are either of your, you know, have you found yourself saying or doing things that, you know... um struck you as very like your parents? Yeah, so I'm actually not a parent myself, but I, you know, I was curious about this because mm-hmm. I definitely have seen my own parents and myself and I have a brother too and and we talk a lot about sort of like the interesting ways that one of us is like one of the parents or the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you know, you never know whether you're just sort of projecting that on yourself, but um I think that if I do have kids, it will I'll feel like it actually matters uh, quite a bit more. Yeah. I think I'm sort of becoming like my like my dad in particular. <laughs> I've always been like my mom, so I, I feel like I am sort of becoming like my dad. I'm just like, tend to the garden, play with the dog. <laughs> you know, there are these um, kind of uh, things that I associate very deeply with my dad that um, that I now find myself embodying, which is one of the reasons that I got, got interested in this. I mean... How much do you think we learn to parent from, you know, books and advice? You know, in today's day and age, most of the time when people are about to become a parent, they just have an arm full of books and I'm sure, you know, YouTube videos and other things for them to kind of draw on. Um, People you talk to, um, both researchers and just folks, um, how much did that stuff seem to matter? It, you know, it doesn't mean that uh, that stuff isn't helpful. I think it definitely can be. But but people did tell me that, like, there's just not really a replacement for direct observation. Um, you know, as you were saying, so much of this is embodied and, you know, you can 
end up doing things you didn't even plan to do. It's not like, you know, so easy to sort of just decide how you parent and then do it and never, mm-hmm. you know, fall back into, um, uh, into what you saw your parents do. Um, so, you know, that turned out to be sort of a big reason that people do end up parenting like their parents a lot of the time is that even if they've read these parenting books, they've looked for, you know, advice, they, the, the parenting that they've seen in real life close up day to day has often only been their own parents. Um, and, and I think that's sort of true more and more as we're in like very isolated family units. And it's very common not to have any parenting experience before you start parenting. Um, you know, I think it used to be kind of common for like the older kids to watch the younger kids in the neighborhood. But yeah. uh, increasingly that is sort of not something that parents are comfortable with or the, you know, babysitters are getting older and a lot of kids are like in activities with adults who are watching them. Um, so a lot of people are going into parenting, you know, with no real example except for what they experienced themselves. Yeah. We're talking about whether we're destined to parent like our parents and know how we can lean into that or avoid it if that's for the best we're joined by faith hill she's senior associate editor of family at the atlantic and she wrote the article the parenting prophecy we would love to hear from you what's something you've heard come out of your mouth that you one of your parents used to say or what's something your parents did that you vowed not to do have you been able to stick with that or what did your parents do raising you that you wish you tried to emulate or you wish you were better at you can give us a call the number is 866-733-6786 that's 866-733-6786 the email is forum at kqed.org if you'd rather tell us your story that way or you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram we're kqed forum Let's uh, get to uh, our first caller. Hey, Matt, in San Francisco, welcome. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for calling. You know, I wanted to say, you know, I I enjoy the program. I've enjoyed listening, and it really sort of struck me because I wanted to share an experience I had when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad, not the greatest guy. For many years, he was an active alcoholic. So not the best, most attentive father that throws a baseball with you. Mm-hmm. When I was about 20 years old in college, uh, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. At that point in his life, he pretty much pushed away everybody in his life. So I decided to become his primary caretaker until oh. he passed away. Um, I did it out of loyalty and obligation. I, I, I knew it was the right thing to do. And in that process and over that time, what happened was I was given an opportunity to confront my father in a sense, mm-hmm. to uh, let him know all the ways that I was hurt as a child by his hand. Mm-hmm. And what I was able to do was to tell him, I'm giving it back. I don't want this pain to linger after you're gone and you need to take it and as a result um i got closure from that situation and and i was able to move forward as an adult man not having those quote-unquote daddy issues and to be honest with you i can you know having been through that experience and other therapeutic things Mm -hmm. um 
I can kind of spot that another minute, a mile away, and it and it can be very tragic. Hmm. So I was very fortunate to get closure yeah. at that point in my life. Yeah, Matt, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I mean, I just want to pull out a couple of different um, things from that. I mean, one is you were, you know, able to confront your father, but also in the context of love and caretaking, and you were also able to do it as a young adult, but also still in a an adult. And maybe, you know, some of those ways you end up healing yourself in a way that you can't really do it when you're a, you're a kid. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Faith, you know, did you run into people, or maybe you can just tell us a, a quick story about people who were able to change some of these patterns that they observed? Yeah, I, I heard that from a lot of people. And, and I think, you know, it's uh, not a totally linear process. Like they felt like they had good days and bad days, but but a lot of people felt like they had been able to really heal and change their own parenting Um and, you know, this, uh, yeah, totally brings up something that I heard a lot from researchers and people I talked to, which is that part of the key to it is probably, you know, just really processing and acknowledging, um, you know, what happened in your childhood and why and, and being able to um, to confront it. Um, and, you know, the, the tricky thing is that you don't want it to, like, totally guide your parenting because some people end up overcorrecting um, and kind of running away from what happened and going too far to the other extreme or right back in the other direction. But um, it, um, you know, if you can sort of uh, let it go by sort of, you know, looking at your parenting with compassion, then that can really help. Yeah. We're talking about whether we're destined to parent like our own parents. We're joined by Faith Hill, Senior Associate Editor of the Family Section at The Atlantic, who wrote the article, The Parenting Prophecy. We'll be back with more calls right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's a big old conversation this Friday about whether we're destined to parent like our parents. We've got Faith Hill from The Atlantic wrote the article, The Parenting Prophecy, looking into the various details around this. Let's uh, go back to the phones. Mike in Santa Cruz, welcome. Hey, Alexis and Faith. Super excited about this topic. Um, I was uh, probably a tough kid to parent when I was young, and so I remember my mother saying to me, you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. And, you know, I still think about that in my adult life, which is really, really cool. And then I find myself passing that on to 
the children that I co-parent with and my son. And it was just such a powerful statement that, you know, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I'm going to tell her about this on her, on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. And I uh, was just really excited that, you know, she was able to pass on something that I pass on to, because I think in a way parenting is the most important and impactful thing that, you know, people pass on, you know, in our lives for generations. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, do you feel like the actual advice that you got, you know, that you can do anything that you put your mind to, do you think that was what was important or just the fact that your mom had a certain mantra like that? You know, I actually think it's the, it was, it's, I, I thought you were going to ask me a different question, but I think it's two things. One, it's the words because I, you know, mm -hmm. hear them in my head and I pass them on. Mm -hmm. But the other, it's, uh, it's, it's the faith too. And that your parent believes in you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Mike. Hey, thank you so much for, uh, sharing that with us. Let's go, um, you know, let's keep uh, going. Let's go to, uh, David in San Jose. Welcome, David. Hi. Um, so I just wanted to say that uh, I'm not a parent, first of all, but I, I was raised in the 50s. And uh, my dad, his father, was a rather um, stern, um, uh, sometimes mean and even sadistic parenting style. But my father was uh, highly educated and uh, Dr. Spock was his Bible. And uh, I mean, not that he ever spoke of the way he was raised, but I learned later of some of the things that his father uh, had done in sort of his raising style. But my dad was completely different. He raised us all with compassion, understanding, and uh, I strive to be more like that. Um, so I guess my point is that uh, despite the fact that, you know, you might have a parent who is uh, not really uh, got a good parenting style, you're not destined to repeat that and that um, there yeah. are ways to get around it. Absolutely, David. I mean, I think people people do break the cycle, right? Faith is people. I mean, it's that, that exact phrase, I think, is how a lot of people describe it. Yes, absolutely. Um, people do. And and yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's so true that it is like really multi-generational. And I think one of the beautiful parts of thinking about the parenting prophecy in your own life is that you, yeah, you don't just think of what you're going through. You think of what your parents went through and that, you know, they dealt with the same thing in, you know, probably in different ways, but, but they had their own parents and their own struggles. Yeah. So Faith, one of the fun things um, about doing the show, and it is Mother's Day weekend, of course, I got to talk to my own mom about this. How could I not? How could I not talk to my own mom? Um, so uh, called her up um, last night and um, here's what we talked about. Hi there, Alexis. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for talking with me about parenting. I do feel very lucky to have had you as a mama. I mean, in my childhood, I really remember you as a remarkably loving and a kind and a patient parent. And I wonder, like, did you have that kind of parenting modeled for you? Uh, no, I did not. My parents uh, were very stressed out people. Um, they went through a lot, you know, in their own childhoods, a, a lot of, um, I would say, trauma of different kinds, uh, early deaths of parents and disabilities and, you know, just things that uh, combined with world affairs like the 
uh, Great Depression and then World War II when they were teenagers really contributed a lot to um, making them very hardened in a way. And I mean, my understanding is that you grew up in a pretty abusive household. It was very abusive, actually. And I wasn't aware of how abusive it was until, you know, I was in my 20s and got a little bit of therapy to, you know, try to work out what I, I didn't understand and the anxiety that I had. And then I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> it really was bad. Uh, I also had a couple of relatives who said later to me as an, an adult, um, I never understood why your parents treated you that way. And, you know, so it, that was also validating in an odd way. Shocking, but validating. I mean, is it fair to say that you consider breaking the cycle of abuse, that is to say, you know, not continuing on this tradition of an abusive household to our own, to creating this loving household that I grew up in, kind of one of your life's great accomplishments. My greatest accomplishment, truthfully. I, I don't think people really understand just how difficult breaking that cycle of abuse that's intergenerational, multi-generational, it's just really hard to do. And I applaud anybody who does it. Um, and anyone who tries and isn't maybe 100% successful, but it's so wonderful to know that you did not bring that damage into your children's lives because it does spread. Well, and I, I mean, I thank you for the loving household that you and dad created for us because I do think it's made approaching my children with love and patience and kindness much easier for me. It has been a, a natural piece of what it is to be a parent, I think, as a result of the kind of household I grew up in. It's just really rewarding just to be around you as a family, truthfully. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Mama. I know, I know yeah. I'm embarrassing you, but I'm your mother. What do you want? <laughs> it's true. It's true. That is what I want. I would like to be embarrassed by my mom. Have a great show. Bye. Bye. That was my mom uh, talking with me last night. Uh, Elizabeth Madrigal, thank you so much for being my mom. Also, thank you for um, letting me talk to you about this kind of difficult part of uh, of life. You know, Faith, um, for people who are trying to break the cycle, you mentioned it a little bit before of like the kind of techniques that you heard from researchers that do help people do what my mom did. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think one thing um, related to what we were talking about with people just not uh, always having a lot of models beyond their own parents is seeking those models out. Um, so, you know, there are probably people in your life that you can kind of observe how they're parenting, you know, even just in, in spurts casually. But, you know, if you have friends who are parents or, um, you know, your kids' teachers or sport coaches, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people who had just sort of been like watching how other people parent their kids and uh, were really, it was a big help. Um, and that can kind of you know, give you the the sense of how it really looks, you know, not just the advice, but like, uh, what it actually looks like to put some of that into action. Um, and, and then, yeah, I think another thing is kind of coming to terms with your own childhood and uh, what your parents might have did that you don't want to repeat. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the important thing there is not to sort of, uh, fear it too much because that can kind of create this awful like Greek tragedy thing where 
um, people try so hard to avoid this happening that they end up fulfilling it because they're parenting from fear or anxiety or um, kind of going to the opposite extreme uh, of what their parents did. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're able to reflect kind of- Like they uh, had really strict parents and they just go like, no boundaries, (laughs) let let the kids do whatever. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that is something that kind of happens a lot. Um, They're, you know, parenting experts kind of call them- um, like there's like an authoritarian style um, and a permissive style and people will kind of often slide too far towards one of the ends of those spectrums. Um, And, and either end is not really the place to be. You want to be in the middle. Um, And, and I talked to a lot of parents who had experienced this, you know, they had had a really strict upbringing. So they would try to be more relaxed and then their kids would start acting out and then they would feel so frustrated and they would, um, you know, just feel like they'd kind of burst, um, or, or vice versa. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a tricky balance because you want to reflect on your parenting in a way that can help your, your childhood in a way that can help your parenting, but you also don't want to be like too obsessed with it. Um, because (laughs) then, um, you know, there's also research about how people can sort of miss uh, distress signals from their own kids when they are too wrapped uh-huh. up in their own memories of childhood. Um, or if they're kind of averse to negative emotions, um, they'll kind of tune them out. Uh, so it, it is it's a delicate balance. But I think sort of the way that you reflect is is the key. Um, and if you can sort of look at what happened to your parents and what they were going through with uh, kind of curiosity, it can really help you sort of move forward. And you might realize that like, you know, if you're repeating their behaviors, you, you can have empathy for them because you understand now how hard it is. Um, And, and, you know, you might feel closer to them because you really share something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of the parents I talked to sort of felt like, once they looked at it in that way, they felt more able to release it and then, you know, think about how they wanted to parent themselves. They sort of had more, more freedom, like they had let go of that, uh, you know, the sort of chains of, of their parents. Yeah. You know, we actually, I know you're also a big fan of poetry, Faith, um, and we yeah. actually have uh, a poem by Italy Moen. I'm going to set it up a little bit. It's called The Raincoat. People may have heard it. But it's really about a moment of a, an adult, Italy Moen in this case, the poet laureate of the United States, kind of coming to recognize what it was that her mother was doing for her. Let's listen to her read it. When the doctor suggested surgery and a brace for all my youngest years, my parents scrambled to take me to massage therapy, deep tissue work, osteopathy, and soon my crooked spine unspooled a bit. I could breathe again and move more in a body unclouded by pain. My mom would tell me to sing songs to her, the whole 45-minute drive to Middle Two Rock Road and 45 minutes back from physical therapy. She'd say that even my voice sounded unfettered by my spine afterward, so I sang and sang, because I thought she liked it. I never asked her what she gave up to drive me, or how her day was before this chore. Today, at her age, 
I was driving myself home from yet another spine appointment, singing along to some maudlin but solid song on the radio. And I saw a mom take her raincoat off and give it to her young daughter when a storm took over the afternoon. My God, I thought. My whole life, I've been under her raincoat, thinking it's somehow a marvel that I never got wet. Ah, that was Ada Limone reading her poem, The Raincoat. Just on the on the topic, Faith, of, uh, of coming to uh, empathize with the situations that maybe as kids we can't see our parents were going through, but as time goes on, we uh, come to understand. Let's bring in another caller on this. Shauna in San Francisco, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to share a quick thing. My parents are uh, immigrants from South Korea, and um, I grew up in a multi-generational home. Mm. And growing up, I was really immersed in the culture. My first language actually was Korean, even though I was born here. And uh, food, everything. And um, now having my own children, I'm realizing how much more distant my kids Mm. are from that culture. And um, I really didn't understand how my parents, <laughs> they would usually say, when it's convenient, you're more American, or when it's more convenient, you're more Korean. And that would confuse me. But I, I kind of understand why they say that now, because now that my kids are growing up, um, I see how distant they are from their own heritage. Mm. And I can, I'm kind of I'm sad by that, just as yeah. probably my parents are, are a little sad by that, because um, they told me before. Mm. So I could really understand why my parents did a lot of the things that they did, like trying to keep um, just the my culture alive in you. Yeah. Identity. Yeah. So the culture is alive in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guess, you know, um, so it's it's, uh, you know, they say one way to uh, to get rid of cultures through language. So I really try to incorporate language into my kids. Um, but it just really gives perspective into like, yeah. like, oh, my parents are immigrants and this is how it was to raise a child that was a different culture. And I get just a little bit of that taste with my own children. So mm. um, mm-hmm. I just had food with my mom yesterday. So it was kind of like, oh, this is a perfect talk to say something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to say two things about that. I mean, um, one is that you now share a new thing with your parents, which is that that little bit of distance as your kids get more more American and less Korean in some sense, you know, or or more of, of this place and, and less of that one. Um, so you kind of share that with them, which is like a, a new experience. And the experience you're having, I think, is one that so many children of immigrants, when they have their own kids, have too, right? Mm-hmm. So many mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So even as like we are kind of losing one thing, at least this is the way I like to be hopeful about it, you're also like kind of gaining <laughs> this this other thing, you know? That's true. That's very yeah. true. And I look forward to kind of seeing how they, they blossom and teach me some of their own, you know, their own experiences. So thank Ab- you. Absolutely. Hey, Shauna, thank you so much for that call. It's such a great point about um, these cross-cultural moves having their, their own sets of, of impacts and um, and repercussions. You know, uh, getting a bunch of uh, listener comments, I want to get to a, a couple of them. One listener tweets... You know, I chose not to have children, partly because my childhood wasn't pleasant. I have my mother's habits in traffic, 
puttering around at home, wanting certain things in life, and sadly, her mental health struggles. I'm in my late 40s, and now I understand her more and wish she was still alive. Thank you for sharing that. Another listener writes, My mom was a stay-at-home parent for my entire childhood, and while that was good for me in a lot of ways, I think it is a big reason I decided not to have kids. I always valued having a career, and not seeing a model of raising kids with two working parents made it feel too daunting for me to undertake. I don't regret it, but I do occasionally feel wistful that I don't have kids to pass on to the good things, pass on the good things my parents did. Um, Faith, and you know, I imagine after you published the story, you you heard from people with those kinds of stories. I'm imagining, you know, like that they thought about becoming an parent but decided against it in because of their complex relationship to to their own childhood. Uh, yeah, certainly, I, I think it's a really uh, a common thing to feel and and it's complicated. You know, I think uh, everyone has to make their own decision about that. But uh, it is scary, I think, to, you know, feel like uh, you, you know, you, you won't be able to, to stray from what happened to you or you wouldn't want to do that to someone else. Um, and I think that is one reason why it, it is important to realize that, you know, if you want to break a cycle like this, um, you can. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, you could still um, be able to to sort of support people in your life if you, if you, you know, there's there's other ways to sort of help people break these cycles yeah. and be a model to people who are looking for that. And of course, yeah, there's all kinds of families, too. Yeah. We're talking about whether we're destined to parent like our parents. We're joined by Faith Hill. She's senior associate editor of Family at the Atlantic, and she wrote the article, The Parenting Prophecy, where, of course, it's a big conversation, joining everybody together here across the Bay Area. What's something you've heard come out of your mouth that your mother or father used to say, and what was your reaction to that? Is there someone other than your parents who you got great parenting examples from? We'd love to hear that. The number's 866-733-6786. The email's forum at kqbd.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's forum. When you're choosing your next adventure... The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about whether we're destined to parent like our parents and the things, the ways we've become like them. Uh, we are joined by Faith Hill. She's the senior associate editor of the family section at The Atlantic. And her article, The Parenting Prophecy, inspired this show. So you can look that up, The Parenting Prophecy. We can get to some more calls and comments. Um, Tamara in Oakland, welcome. Hi, good morning. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks for calling. 
Yeah, this was a great conversation. I just wanted to bring some levity back into it. My, I hear myself, I hear my mother when I tell my kids now when they can't find something and then I find it and I say, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. <laughs> and, and my family, my both my parents' parents are from the South. So we have crazy family sayings. But um, so my parents were with me, stayed in my house last weekend, and my kids were looking for something. And I said, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. And my mother said, oh, my my mother used to say that to me all the time. So one, <laughs> she didn't forgot that she used to say that to us. And two, I, did, I never realized that she got that thing from my grandmother. So now it's being passed down through the generations. If it was oh, snake, man. It Oh, I love that. Do you have any other, do you have any, just off the top of your head, do you have any of the other family sayings from the South? Uh, yeah, my dad would say, head them up, move them out when it was time to go. <laughs> and I hear myself say that in my head, but I don't want to say that to my kids because, like, that was traumatic for me because my dad was always like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, military, I always wanted to be on time. So I don't, I don't pass that one on. And, um, probably another one would be, and it's so cliche, but because I'm your mother, that's why. So I, I hear myself say that, but I've, I've stopped saying that because oh, now I think my kids deserve to know why. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that oh, stops with me, but if it was a snake, it would have bit you. Is, um, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to hear that every time I can't find something and my kids find it for me. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Tamara in, in Oakland. We have a few other uh, sayings to hear, Faith. Uh, a listener writes in to say, My father said this to me, and now I say it to my son. Turn out the lights. What do you think? I have more money than Edison? I love that. The Detroit Power Company, like Edison Electric. <laughs> uh, Lucinda writes in to say, I can still hear my mother yelling at us, You kids don't know how lucky you are. We heard this as we sat on our dock eating our sandwiches that she just made us. No, we had no idea how lucky we were. We thought everyone had a life like that. I now know how lucky we were, and I find myself saying that to kids in general. Uh, Another listener tweets, quote, I can't believe you can study with that racket blaring. I laughed at my mom's voice coming out of my face each time I said it. Then her kid got earphones. Now he'll go deaf at 50 and it'll be all my fault. (laughs) Um, And Liz writes, I'd be all upset about something or other. And my mom would reply, trust in the Lord. She was a positive person and always believed that things would work out. And they normally did. You know, Faith, you didn't share this in the article, but were there particular things that your parents did that you found yourself kind of doing or saying like that? Um, yes, I mean, definitely. I, um, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, the very specific phrases, but certainly from other people, I heard a lot of those, like, I, this, these callers are reminding me they're very similar examples. Like, you know, when someone has the door open, it's, you know, they hear themselves repeating their parents saying like, in or out, in or out, Um, (laughs) or like a certain look with the eyes, like a stern look to, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, express that something is, you know, the parent's not happy with something or uh, like, you're not made, we're not made of money. Mm -hmm. Um, These very specific things that a lot of people (laughs) brought up. Um, And, and I actually, interestingly, have a harder time, like identifying them in myself with my parents. I, I think that's part of the thing is that it can be hard to realize these things. But 
um, people have pointed out to me that I talk in like a similar cadence to my mother and use huh. similar mm-hmm. sort of body language and hand gestures. So mm-hmm. even I think aspects like that, that like, you don't even see in yourself that other people can point out. Um, yeah. But I, I love the specific examples because I think it's a good reminder that, you know, parents don't usually fall into like bad parent or good parent and you want to be one of the two. It's like, we're all sort of this mix of complicated mm-hmm. habits and some are good and some are bad and you can break the cycle with a certain thing and carry on something else that you, you know, you choose to, uh, to uh, move forward. And um, I think that is uh, really like the complicated, but nuanced and good way to look at it. Mm, I love that. Let's bring in uh, Michelle actually joining us from Huntsville, Alabama. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, hi. thank you for taking my call. Oh yeah. What's your story? Um, so I'm originally from the UK and I lived in the Bay Area and had my kids in the Bay Area. And then during COVID, my husband moved to um, take a job in Alabama and he actually commutes back to California now. But um, me and my kids are in just north of Huntsville. Wow. And I still listen to you. <laughs> oh, well, hey, thank you for doing that. And did you have a story about like uh, kind of the parent you know, becoming your parents or how that's worked out for you? It was um, like a shock realization. Oh, my God, I've become my mother. And I was in a Starbucks in the Bay Area and I was ordering my coffee and I found myself trying to work out the gender of my server. And obviously it made no difference to my coffee or whatever, but it just reminded me of watching Top of the Pops with my parent, my mother and my grandmother and then sat there. Um, going, well, what gender is it about Boy George? And I love Boy George. And I thought he was amazing. And I couldn't believe they didn't know he was a man with this amazing outfit. Mm. And then I was suddenly like, oh, my gosh, I've become my mother. Like, why mm. Why do I even care? Like, mm. Boy George, I knew. And this server, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. And yeah. so, yeah, I just was yeah. reflecting on that. And then also on how much things have changed. Um, so growing up in the U.K., None of my friends who eventually were gay were able to express who they were. Mm-hmm. And um, and I wasn't able to express who I was either because you couldn't be a smart girl because that wasn't allowed. And um, and um, now how different it is for my kids. And mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for those uh, reflections. Michelle, and thanks for you know continuing to listen despite the fact you moved to, to Huntsville. I mean, Faith, I, you know, it seems like one of the key flashpoints, as Michelle's kind of indicating, are, you know, when when parents find themselves um, in a different kind of moral world than their own parents had and how it is that they kind of manage those changing mores, those changing, you know, um, kind of liberations that people have been able to experience. Um, how do you think about that? That was something that actually came up a lot in the reporting of this piece. I think there are a lot of sort of generational differences and, you know, what is acceptable or seen as, you know, common for parents. So one thing that uh, a lot of parents mentioned is that they were spanked as children and Mm. they were sort of, um, you know, uh, processing that and what that meant for their parents to do that. And they felt uh, like it had been really negative for them. Um, but, you know, in part of the sort of process of reflecting and um, having curiosity about their own parents was that they, you know, even if they didn't totally forgive it, they realized that it was a very different context and their parents were sort of 
doing the best that they could with the information mm. they had at the time. And, um, uh, you know, I think there were, were plenty of different examples of that, but it's also just um, kind of like by having the experience you had yourself, you that helps you come to the realization you have. So like you, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it sort of helps, I think, to, uh, to blame them a little less and understand them a little mm-hmm. more. We're talking about whether we're destined to parent like our parents show inspired by Faith Hill's uh, essay in The Atlantic, The Parenting Prophecy. She joins us this morning. One thing we haven't um, talked about and we'd love to hear from listeners. Are you a grandparent? Have you seen what's it like seeing this kind of thing through multiple generations? You know, watching your own children parent their children. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Um, Let's go to Paige in Los Altos. Welcome. Uh, Hi, thank you. Um, My comment falls under the category of breaking a a cycle, I think, Um, and I just wanted to, so my, my mom and I had a very tumultuous uh, teenage years, very kind of classic in that sense, I think. <clears throat> and I, when I was lucky enough to have kids late in my life, um, I sure didn't want that relationship with my daughter. And <clears throat> to, um, to the point earlier, I started to kind of go that direction despite mm-hmm. my best efforts. I was you know, being um, judgmental, critical, trying to make her act and process information the way it was comfortable for me to process mm-hmm. things. And, and fortunately, at that time in my life, I ran into the Enneagram um, personality right. typing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read the book uh, by Helen Palmer that was Enneagram in Love and Work. And uh, suddenly I'm like, oh, my God, I'm I'm a seven, like a textbook seven, good or bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's energetic and positive and, you know, everything's going to be fine. And that's how I process things, right or wrong. And my daughter was a four. Hmm. And a four is really emotional, sensitive, needs to process, doesn't mind crying, putting energy into that, you know, has the door closed when she needs to process things. Absolutely radically different than me. But when Hmm. I figured it out and I shared it with her, and said, do you find yourself in this, you know, book. And what do you think you are? She came up before. She goes, oh, my God, and you're a seven. So now that radically changed. I'm like, you figured oh, it I'm out. To, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you're, I'm trying to make you like me. That's what my mom was always trying to do. It drove mm. me freaking crazy <laughs> and was wrong. You know, it's just wrong. And unfortunately, when my mom got cancer, I tried to bring it up with her, and she was her classic, mm. uh, you know, that sounds like a convenient thing for you, but that's, that, you know, she wanted me to live my life mm. exactly the way she lived hers because she thought hers was the picture yeah. of success um, and safe. Well, but anyway, I, I, I highly recommend, especially for any mom having challenges with a girl or a boy, you know, a son or a daughter, find out what you are and and embrace Figure it and be out. curious yeah. about yeah how different your your kids are from you because they are. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Paige in Los Altos. Really appreciate um, your story. This 
is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We have some great um, comments. Um, it's kind of like kind of profound comments um, coming in that I want to make sure we get to uh, for more phone calls. One listener um, writes in to say, uh, I came from a single parent broken home. My mom was married and divorced four times and had a string of bad boyfriends too. I never ever saw what a successful marriage looked like growing up. I moved into my best friend's house for college for three years and saw for the first time at 18 what a good typical marriage or family looked like. I learned that not all arguments end in blow-ups. You can just work it out and move on. I learned loving but firm limits with trust with for kids, not just completely clamping down so strictly on your kids because you're afraid and controlling. Those three years completely changed my life. I have a long marriage and three happy kids myself, and I am forever grateful for it. Um, Jeffrey writes in to say, I loved hearing Alexis' conversation with his mother. Thanks, Jeffrey. And I really appreciated her emphasis on how hard it can be to break the cycle. Freedom from parenting patterns is not all cognitive and volitional. It's far from it. I had a terrible relationship with my father growing up as he suffered from major and totally unconscious PTSD from heavy combat in World War II. Nevertheless, I find myself using various of his pithy turns of phrase, e.g. that someone bought the bill of goods or in regard to bad behavior, they come by it, honestly. Um, Let's get to uh, Lauren in San Francisco. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm learning so much from listening to this program, both about myself and about different parenting styles. So thank you for that insight. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, so I wonder if your experts can speak a little bit about kind of the tension between um, really admiring your mom or maybe parents in general, but... um, finding it hard to love and receive love from them. Mm. Uh, my own story is that um, I have this incredible mother. We're Vietnamese refugees. And so she and my dad, of course, survived the war. But my dad was imprisoned after. And then she was able to basically bribe him out of prison, organize an escape from Vietnam out into the sea, and finally resettle into the U.S. Wow. We are, you know... Um, a successful immigrant family, three kids who are all professionals. Mm-hmm. She's well. My dad just recently passed away. Um, but I, she is so accomplished in so many ways. And I, I admire her so much. But I think that because of all the trauma and all of the things she's had to do to get to where we are, all of her accomplishments kind of hardened her. Mm. And she's very prickly. I don't know that she knows how to be soft. Mm. So it makes loving her incredibly challenging. Mm. I don't know if she knows how to receive love. And I, I wonder if your experts can speak to that, like the tension of admiring your mm. parents, but not being able to love them. Mm. What a great, thanks for that, sharing that story and piece of your family's life, Lauren. Faith Hill, I mean, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really moving and hard example. And, and I also think it's, you know, as you say, that tension is, is something that a lot of people experience because our parents are complicated. You know, they have flaws and they also have uh, qualities that we really admire. Um, and, and I think, you know, the way that you are sort of approaching this with empathy is, is amazing. And and I think that can help to sort of, um, 
you know, identify that there are things that you want to keep and things that you don't want um, and you don't need to necessarily throw it all away. Um, but, but I talked to a lot of parents who had kind of been, been able to uh, sort of pick and choose what they, what they wanted to pass on. Um, and uh, so, you know, one person uh, felt that her, her parents were really tough on her in a lot of ways. And sometimes it probably went too far, but uh, she also realized there were sort of benefits of that toughness and that, you know, at times her mom had really been in her corner um, and that she wanted to, uh, to follow that. Um, and, and someone else who, you know, thought that sort of uh, almost the opposite that her mom was sort of like so hyper present that it was a little bit suffocating, mm -hmm. but she wanted to give her kid uh, you know, a little room to, to learn and grow on his own, but that she also wanted him to know, like she always had that she was, you know, uh, unconditionally loved. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's hard to parse it all, but it is absolutely possible to um, kind of honor the parts that we admire in our parents um, and, uh, and realize that others are not. We've been talking about whether we're destined to parent like our parents with Faith Hill, senior associate editor of Family at The Atlantic, who wrote the article that inspired this show, The Parenting Prophecy. Thanks so much for joining us, Faith. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun to honor our complex, beautiful relationships with our own moms, parents, caregivers, chosen families. We're doing our best. Last couple comments. Rebecca writes, I remember when we were taking too long to get ready to get out the door. My mom would shout, you kids, get your shoes on and get out here immediately, if not sooner. Made us laugh and made my daughter laugh a generation later. Another listener writes, My dearly departed mother often said, You gotta expect some losses in an operation of this size when something would go wrong during big family gatherings. This hour of form is produced by Blanca Torres and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Christopher Beale, and Brennan Willard. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jerrica Reininger. Our VP of News is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Got to expect some losses in an <laughs> operation this size. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. 
a story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.